The Productive Woman, Episode 265. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thanks so much for joining me. In this episode, we'll be talking about what to do when your spouse or other people in your life are not as productive as you wish they were. You'll find more information and links to some resources I mentioned all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 265. This episode is brought to you by the University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education. UCI Division of Continuing Education was established in 1962 and has served the lifelong learning and career development needs of individuals, organizations, and the community on a local, regional, and global scale ever since. The Department of Continuing Education provides learning pathways for those seeking career advancement or personal enrichment through a wide range of educational opportunities. They offer courses and certifications taught by industry practitioners in a huge range of categories from business and leadership to tech, project management, law, engineering, human resources, and more with over 60 convenient certificates and specialized studies programs. They offer 100% online courses, which provide convenience and flexibility and a truly immersive online classroom experience, even collaboration with your peers, which is a great way to learn. UCI Continuing Education can help you gain an edge in your career, make a career transition, or simply help you become more knowledgeable. They provide you with the flexibility to stay on top of your game in your current role while preparing to level up. Open enrollment means there are no applications to complete. You just log in and sign up and you can pay for a single course or enroll in an entire certificate program. You have control over your academic plan. So give yourself the gift of education. You know, as we're, I'm recording this, we're coming up on the holiday season and it's easy during that period of time to focus on gift giving for friends and family, but don't overlook the value of investing in yourself. If you have career goals and aspirations for 2020, now's the time to invest in yourself and your career. So to learn more, visit ce.uci.edu slash productive woman and enter the promo code TPW for 15% off one course. That's ce.uci.edu slash productive woman and the promo code TPW to get 15% off one course. I'll have that link in the show notes for this episode and I'll mention it again in case you're driving or didn't get it down this time. Winter registration opens up on October 25th, 2019, which is just a couple days after this episode is published. And the offer is only valid until 11.59 p.m. on December 31st. So don't wait to sign up. All right, let's get into our topic of the day. This 
episode was, again, kind of inspired by a question that was asked in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group about influencing family productivity. Lucy asked specifically, have you talked about family productivity? How do I influence my husband's productivity? He watches TV at night and claims he just needs to relax. I see it as wasted time. And, you know, I think a lot of us uh, have experienced that or have thought about that. Uh, Others in the community have raised similar questions with respect to, say, our kids or co-workers. When other people around us aren't productive, um, how can we change that? How can we influence that? We did talk about raising productive kids in episode 156. So certainly check that out. Um, And we'll touch on it or the things that we'll be talking about in this episode will apply to kids as well. But I thought this time we would focus on um, what to do or how to influence our spouse or our partner if they're not as productive as we wish they were. I think, again, a lot of this applies to others in our lives, not just our spouses, but kids, co-workers, roommates, that sort of thing. So let's talk about some of that. And uh, I'll, I'll be, I would love to continue that conversation in the Facebook group or elsewhere as we, as we talk about it. So what's the issue if your family members are not as productive as you are, or as you wish they would be? Well, it does matter. One writer has put it this way. One thing we can all agree on is that we are also affected when those around us are unproductive and inefficient, whether it be a coworker or a family member, their productivity is usually tied to our own. And again, it can apply at work and and can, can apply at home in organizations that we volunteer. And what do we do if the people around us are not as productive as they need to be or as we wish they were? Let's talk about what that means. I, I think it has to start with thinking about what it means to you when you say your spouse or your kids or your roommate or whoever is not as productive as they need to be? Does that mean they're not accomplishing enough in their life or as much as you wish they would because you care about them and you want to see them, you know, accomplishing great things and being their best self? Or does it mean they're not pulling their fair share of the load or maybe that they're even making it harder for you to be as productive as you want to be? because they're making more work for you. And that might be because you, f- you feel like you have to monitor their schedules and make sure they're where they need to be or doing what they need to be. Or maybe they're leaving things undone that then you have to come in behind them and, and do it or, you know, bug them to do it. Either way, that, you know, that may be the kind of productivity that you're thinking of when you're saying, you know, whether it's your husband or your kids or whoever is not being as productive as they need to be. And it can be frustrating. If you're a person who listens to this podcast, you care about being productive and getting things done and, and making a life that matters. You care about those things. You're, you're listening to me. So you must think about these things. And if you do care about that, and you're trying to be as productive as possible, in whatever sense you define that, you want the people around you, especially the people that you care about, to also be productive in those senses, getting those things done that um, they need to do 
making a life that matters in whatever way they define it or you define it. And we'll talk about what, what that might mean. So if you feel like your husband or your roommate or whoever is not being productive enough, how do you get that? How can we effectively get what we're looking for if we're hoping to make somebody else or encourage somebody else to be more productive? There are a couple of things that came to mind. The first one, and it, maybe these aren't in, in any particular order, but they're just kind of in the order that I thought of them and then went out and, and got some advice from some other people that I wanted to share with you. The very first thing that came to mind is we need to not take it personally. And this is particularly, I think, an issue with our spouse. So we may feel this urge to believe or even say, well, if he cared about me, he would do X, um, whatever that might be. He might uh, spend his time more productively, or he might pick up his socks or whatever, whatever the thing is that is on your mind when you're thinking about your spouse's productivity. I think this issue, like I said, is going to be more of a temptation when we're talking about someone we're close to like our spouse. We feel like, well, if, you know, if he cared what I feel, he would do X. And I think we need to resist the urge to to say that we need to resist the urge to believe that or, or really question that belief if that thought is in our minds. First of all, I think defining for somebody else how they show caring for us, or even what an acceptable way to show their care that I think that's problematic. I think in a way, especially if it's applied to say our husband, um, it is, it becomes whether consciously or not a sort of subtle demand for proof of their love. And I don't know how productive that is. Uh, different people communicate their, how they care about someone, their love in different ways. I don't know if you've ever read the book or heard of the concept of the love languages that uh, I think it's Gary Chapman has written this book and it's been out for a number of years. People talk about a lot that the different ways that people communicate or their love and the ways that we can receive communication of love. And so for some people, that's words. For some people, it's acts of service. And I didn't go back and research all of that. So I don't remember. I think there are five love languages. I'll, I'll try to put a link in the show notes uh, to where you can look up more of that. And different people communicate their love in different ways. And if we are are thinking, feeling, saying, well, if he cared about me, he would do X. We're sort of imposing on him a, a, a definition of how, what is an appropriate way to show love. And we are sort of subtly demanding that he prove his love by doing this certain thing that we want. Now, I do believe that love calls for action rather than just words, 
But we need to think about those differences in love languages. And I, I commend you to that book, which again, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out to understand that maybe the way you want love communicated is not the way that the other person actually communicates love. So that's a problem with this idea, this, whether we say it or, or just think it, that if he cared about me, he would do X. It also diminishes or dismisses the things that he does do. And this is something I have to remind myself. Uh, if Mike, my husband, Mike doesn't do certain things that I wish he would, I need to consciously think about all the things that he does do, how hard he works, the things that he does to, to, um, to look out for me and to take care of me in ways that he does. Maybe he doesn't do everything the way I think he ought to, uh, or that I wish he would, I guess maybe is a better way to say it. But when I start feeling that way, again, I take a step back and I think, all right, look at what he does. So if I think his productivity is not, uh, the way that I think you should. I mean, a, an example for me is I'm a big list maker, a big user of a, a to-do list or a, a um, task manager where I put all the things that need to be done. He tends to leave things out that need attention, whether it's a bill that needs to be paid or a check to be deposited or a, a, a tool for something that he is planning to do around the house. And I don't like seeing those things left out. But and when I've talked about, well, couldn't you just put it on a to do list and then put that thing away until you're ready to do it. And his answer to me has been, I'm a visual person seeing it reminds me I don't remember to check a to do list. So is my way right and his way wrong? Is my way more productive than his? No, I don't think it is. So when I start to get uh, you know, bugged because something's laying out that I know why he's got it out there. Uh, I just need to remind myself, yeah, but look at he's taking care of that thing. He's fixing the things in the house or he's uh, depositing the checks or paying the bills. And this is his approach. This is his way. And just because he's not doing it the way that I think he should doesn't mean he's doing it wrong. And it doesn't mean he doesn't care about me. This whole concept of reminding ourselves that just because something's not being done the way we think it ought to be doesn't mean uh, the approach is not valid is so important. And it's part of that whole concept of not taking it personally when our husband or whoever else we might be thinking of uh, um, is not doing things the way we should. It's not aimed at us. That's just their approach. There is an article that I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. There's a real kind of well-known article about um, this very idea of somebody else, you know, getting somebody else to, to uh, act in ways we wish they would. It's an article called What Shamu Taught Me About a Happy Marriage. And it was published in the New York Times a while back. I'm going to talk about it more and some of the things I learned from this article. And it will be linked in the show notes because I think y'all should read it. But one of the things that she says in this article 
is relevant to this very point. She says, and I'm quoting here, I used to take his, meaning her husband's, faults personally. His dirty clothes on the floor were an affront, a symbol of how he didn't care enough about me. But thinking of my husband as an exotic species gave me the distance I needed to consider our differences more objectively. So the point here is don't take it personally when uh, our your spouse is not doing uh, what I wish he would. So the next thing is to get really real and honest about your, your own role and managing your own thinking. So much of this, when we're talking about somebody else's productivity versus our own, uh, so much of it is in our own head. And so doing our own thought work about our expectations of what another person should or shouldn't do and our interpretation of their actions or the lack thereof is very, very important. And so I encourage you, if this is an issue for you, whether it's with your spouse or somebody else, that a source that it has become a source of frustration or just you want to influence and encourage them to be more productive, start with doing some very deep thinking about the assumptions and expectations behind your wish for that person, your husband, your children, your roommate, your coworkers to be more productive. Again, we talked about this just a minute ago. Is it that you're carrying too much of the load and you want them to step up? Or is it that they're not spending their time in the way you think they should? And if it's the latter, let's think about that. Don't we each get to define productivity for ourselves? This is a little bit of a, you know, do you want somebody else to define for you how you should be productive? And do we owe any less to other people? So thinking about what those uh, assumptions are, getting real, you know, digging in behind what those uh, uh, maybe unspoken assumptions or even unacknowledged assumptions and expectations are and recognizing what those are. Thinking about what is motivating you when you're thinking you're wanting to influence this other person to be more productive. People, including those who love us, um, and that we love generally respond better when they feel that we're looking out for them, that we're motivated by their interests, not just yours. So again, if we, if we're thinking, well, but he should do this, uh, whenever we have that thought about somebody else, whether it's our husband or someone else, you know, our kids, anyone, whenever we have that thought, well, they should be doing X, I think this is a really good perspective to evaluate very, very carefully. And I'm talking to myself here because I'm, I'm real good at um, thinking, well, this other person should be, you know, they should do this. You know, for example, thinking about Mike, well, he should use a task manager instead of leaving things out. So I have to take that step back and think about why do I think he should? Because I I do it. And because I want, you know, I don't want things left on his bedside table or whatever. Uh, it starts with, for me, thinking about, you know, that golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How do you feel when someone else, even, or maybe especially someone you love tells you what you should do? I, you know, I don't, care for other people telling me what I should or shouldn't do. 
and and it's easy to kind of get your back up if someone does that, even if they may be right, but it's a question of how it's said. Uh, So when we are thinking someone else should be doing something, really evaluate that perspective, really evaluate that thought, both from the the uh, the perspective of the golden rule, but also there's not a whole lot of peace to be found in focusing on what other people do or don't do or should or should not do. Uh, we can't control anybody else. We only control our own minds and our own actions. And I don't know about you, but for me, that is a full-time job. Um, I, I need to spend more time focusing on my own thoughts and my own actions and less on what other people do. And so doing that thought work, thinking about our own motivations and why we're wanting other people to do things and, uh, is, is important. And I think it has to be the starting point, right? Uh, but that being said, once we have our own minds kind of under control, we've, we're doing that thought work, managing our own thinking, uh, then what can we do to influence our spouse or anybody else to be more productive? And there are, as I said at the beginning, good reasons maybe to do that, uh, especially if what they're doing is making things more difficult for for us to accomplish the things we need to do or want to do. So what can we do to influence other people to be more productive? And I'm going to mostly focus here again on your husband, your spouse, but I do think these things apply across the board with anyone that we want to influence in that way. So what are some of the things we can do? I think the first thing is to communicate clearly, to say what you need. If, for instance, your motivation for wanting your husband, your kids, your roommate, whoever, to be more productive is because you feel that they're not carrying their share of the load and you're having to do more than is is fair or or appropriate, then say what you need not in an accusatory way, but simply say, you know, saying the facts. Don't wait until you're frustrated or angry because it's going to be really hard to communicate in a way they can understand or that they can listen to at that point. So say what you need, say it in a way he can hear without accusation, without defensiveness, communicating in his language in a way that he can hear you. Choose the right time to have that discussion, not when you're upset or in the middle of something, or he's in the middle of something distracted or exhausted or upset, finding a time to sit down and have a conversation that is going to be productive for both of you. And as part of that communication, it's not just saying what you need, but also listening, listening to understand, not to refute, (laughs) Uh, Because if you can understand why he's doing what he does or not doing the things you want him to do, perhaps you can find a win-win. 
Uh, this is something one writer said that I thought was really good. Uh, there's a Psychology Today article called Five Ways to Get Your Partner to Change. Again, link will be in the show notes uh, for you to check it out for yourself. And here's one of the things that writer said, understand what's causing the lack of change. So if you're looking for change in your spouse or another person, let talking to them, listening, asking questions with a goal, not of trying to manipulate or change them, but to understand why they're not changing. This writer goes on to say, behavioral patterns are very rarely end games in and of themselves. There's usually something deeper sparking the drive to act in the same way over and over again. And so this article is talking about if you're, you know, if your partner has maybe behaviors that you think are destructive, but the same thing would apply if they're simply not, not productive and not moving them towards a goal that you think they, uh, that they have. And so the, this article says, for example, if your boyfriend parties every night, staying up late and drinking lots of alcohol to his own detriment, there's something more to this than him simply being immature. Telling him to grow up will not compel him to change. And even worse, it'll likely drive the two of you apart. Instead, ask him what he's getting out of partying. Are you doing it to relax, to relieve some anxiety, to avoid responsibility? Come from a place of really trying to understand the drive behind the behavior before even attempting to change the behavior. And I think that's such a good point. I want to say that again, because I think this is something we all need to do if we really want to influence somebody else to change, uh, to be more productive. Um, so listen, listen to this again from this article. Come from a place of really trying to understand the drive behind the behavior before even attempting to change the behavior. So that's very important. So communication is the first step. Say what you need in a way that he can hear and listen to understand um, why he's doing what he, he does or not doing the things you think he ought to do. Uh, second step is to become a leader and not a boss or a nag. Remember the stuff from last week's episode on leadership about leading with an, without announcing that you're doing so. The difference between being a boss and a leader. Uh, there are lots of, of things. And again, I commend you to that episode last week where we talked about some of those. But one key aspect of leadership is influence. We can and do influence others no matter what our role is or theirs. We can exercise that influence on purpose, consciously. Uh, so leading by example, for instance, modeling the behavior we want from others. Um, it, it, people watch to see, uh, watch what we do to see if it lines up with what we say. And so be that role model, walk the walk, don't just talk the talk again. We talked about this last week and develop those excellent communication skills, uh, both talking, but also listening. And remember the stuff from last week about transformational leadership versus transactional leadership. I will link again to uh, the article that talked about that. It, it's in last week's show notes, but I'll put it here. Remember um, one of the things from an article called the uh, 10 top tips for becoming a better leader 
talked about how transformational leaders aim to enhance the motivation, morale, and job performance of followers by working with teams to identify needed change, to create a shared vision, and to guide through inspiration. And uh, another writer said that transformational leaders are not just concerned about helping the group achieve its goals. They also care about helping each member of the group reach his or her full potential. Apply the, that kind of backdrop to the kind of leadership you want to, um, to use in your relationships, in your home, in with whoever it is that you're wanting to influence. So communication, leading, um, in the best sense, not announcing I'm in charge here and you're, you're going to do what I think you should do, but being a leader, stepping out there and being a leader, uh, in all the good senses. Uh, third thing is be flexible. Be open to accepting a different result. Maybe your husband or your kids won't do things exactly the way you want them to, but can you accept their way of responding uh, to your request or doing whatever it is that you're hoping for them to do? Uh, Acknowledge that they may have a different way of getting to the same result. The fourth thing that comes to mind here is if the issue is that his, the other person's approach results in, for instance, missed appointments because he doesn't use a calendar or clothes not being in the laundry because he leaves them lying around. Uh, if, if that's the kind of issue for his, his productivity that you'd like to improve, um, let him deal with the consequences. Um, for instance, if he won't use a calendar, maybe he's going to miss an appointment. If he's not going to put his clothes in the laundry hamper, maybe he won't have any clean socks. You know, if you always step in and fix the situation, two things are going to happen here. He's never going to feel the pain and thus never will have any motivation to change his approach or his habits. But maybe even more important, you're going to feel resentful. And there is no good that comes out of doing something for someone else, but resenting it. And so, you know, if the issue is that you're, you know, there's a little more work for you because your spouse leaves clothes lying around, you can do one of two things. You can decide, you know what, I love him. I'm going to, I'll just pick him up and do him, but do it without resentment. Just be okay with it. Or you'll leave them lying where they are and you'll wash the clothes that are in the hamper and he won't have any clean socks. And maybe then he'll, you know, Maybe he won't care, but you at least won't have to do the extra work of picking up his socks for him. So letting him deal with the consequences of whatever this unproductive behavior is that that you've identified may help move it in the right direction um, because he'll suffer the consequences of it. And the fifth thing is you can try some behavior modification techniques. And I say this with some hesitance because I'm not trying to encourage manipulation, but understanding human nature. And this kind of goes back to the idea of communicating in a way that he can understand, that the other person can understand. So there are some great suggestions in that article I mentioned earlier on, the New York Times article. It's by a writer named Amy Sutherland. And she was writing about what she learned from animal trainers. Apparently she did a, did or does a lot of writing about uh, animal trainers and how they teach animals to do strange things. And she talks about it in the article. 
It's a really interesting article, and I do suggest you read it. And she uh, kind of makes a connection between what she was learning as she was researching these articles she wrote and some frustrations she was having with her husband's behavior. And so she the article talks about how she learned some techniques from these animal trainers that she put into practice in her home to influence her husband to be more productive in the ways that she was hoping he would. And so uh, uh, she shares in detail those techniques in the article, but a couple of them were worth repeating here. And uh, again, apply whether it's your husband or your kids or anybody else. The first and what I would say is the most important principle here is reward behavior you like and ignore the behavior you don't. So instead of criticizing it or scolding about the stuff that you don't, you ignore it and reward behavior you like. This is really similar to something I learned from the the guy who used to train my horses. Um, One of the concepts he talked about was you get what you reinforce. And so you reward what you like and you simply ignore the behavior you don't like. Well, why ignore instead of trying to retrain it by, you know, pointing it out and, and retraining? Because even negative, uh, a negative reaction is better than nothing at all. Uh, and so what the experts say is a behavior, if a behavior provokes no response at all, it typically dies away. There is another expert that agrees with this approach of uh, rewarding the behavior you like, ignoring the behavior you don't. Uh, Diane, I think it's Gehart, PhD. She's a professor of marriage and family therapy at California State University, Northridge. She is quoted in one article as saying, providing praise every time he does something you like means he'll probably do it again. Complimenting and appreciating desirable behavior is one of the best ways to get more of what you want, especially in long-term relationships. This is so, um, I think this is such a key thing. And it goes to uh, something we've talked about a lot in past episodes about the importance of gratitude. Uh, I think, again, this is not intended to be a, a tool of manipulation, but we get more of what we appreciate. I like when somebody appreciates something I do, don't you? And I think our, our husbands, our kids, our coworkers, everybody feels that way. And that's the, the theory or the, the truth behind this approach of praising somebody who does something you want and, um, because you will get more of it. We all want to be appreciated. The other thing that's great about this is if you are, um, going to praise the behavior you want, you're going to be watching for it. And so if we are focused on gratitude, on, on looking for opportunities to express gratitude and compliments is going to change our perspective and, well, ultimately probably will lead more to more of what we want. Uh, And that's true in life as well as in our relationships. The writer of that article where Dr. Gayhart was, uh, was quoted also cites other research 
research as supporting the idea that we should ignore undesirable behavior and expressly praise each attempt at the behavior you want. Um, The writer suggests next time, this is an example, next time you're about to blow a fuse because he once again forgot that wet towels need to actually be hung up in order to dry, the research suggests taking a deep breath, hanging it yourself and letting it go. Then when he does it himself, vocalize how happy that makes you. He's still getting attention just of the positive variety that's more likely to be received rather than ignored. So uh, the the discussion behind that is that when we criticize somebody, they're going to tune us out, especially uh, a peer like our husband is or a coworker or that sort of thing, a roommate. People will simply tune us out if we nag them about something we want them to stop doing. So the approach is to ignore those things they do that we don't like, watch for opportunities to praise them for doing the thing and thank them for doing the thing that we want them to do. And as I said, we all want to be appreciated. We all appreciate um, recognition, compliments, praise. And so focusing on those things is, is going to benefit you and them. So in addition to this very important principle of rewarding the behavior you like and ignoring the behavior you don't, uh, Sutherland in her article suggests that we use what animal trainers call approximations, uh, which, uh, and I'm quoting here, she says, reward the small steps toward learning a new behavior. So in other words, praise every small step every time. Uh, if they do uh, one little thing that's sort of toward the thing you ultimately want them to do, praise them. That's something, again, my horse trainer used to do. Uh, reward the attempt. Start When you're first starting to try to encourage uh, an animal or a person to to learn a new behavior, if they even try a little bit, praise that. And ultimately that will lead to more attempts and better success. Sutherland also says that we should study or analyze the subject, whether it's our husband or roommate, whoever, like a trainer studies an animal. Again, understanding them, trying to know everything you can about them so you can understand what motivates him and use approaches that are tailored to him specifically. Uh, And she gives really good examples in the article. So you should check that out. She also uh, says we should encourage an incompatible behavior, a behavior that if he's doing it, he can't do the thing you wished he wouldn't. And as I said, there are examples of that in the article. Sutherland encourages us to focus on our own behavior and how it might be contributing to the situation that's frustrating us, as she puts it, how my actions might inadvertently fuel his. And finally, she suggests that we recognize and accept that some behaviors are so deeply entrenched in uh, the person we're, we're talking about that they simply won't change. The way she puts it is, you can't stop a badger from digging and you can't stop my husband from losing his wallet and keys. And so acknowledging that our, our husband is a unique individual with certain ingrained entrenched habits and ways of thinking and being, and some of them simply won't change. And so for me, 
you know, Mike likes to leave certain things on his bedside table um, to remind him that he wants to do something with it. I just got a pretty basket and put it there for him to put that stuff in. So I can accommodate his approach to being productive in that way uh, and yet keep things looking the way I want them to do. So those are some suggestions, some ideas that come from, uh, you know, some of the resources that I came up with. Again, let me reiterate some of those approaches. Once we have got our own thinking right, you know, we've done that thought work and are managing our own thinking, our motives are right. And we we're understanding what needs to be done. The first step is communicating, saying what we need in a way that the other person can hear and listening to them to understand the what's driving what they're doing, uh, so that we can maybe help uh, move things in a direction that works for both of us. Second thing is to be a leader, lead by example, influencing through our actions and our behavior, modeling that behavior that we want from them. Um, third is to be flexible, be willing to accept a slightly different result or a different approach that isn't exactly what we were asking for, but gets us in the area that we want it to be. And the fourth is letting them deal with the consequences instead of stepping in and um, fixing the problem and then resenting it. And fifth is using some of those, what I'm calling behavior modification techniques, understanding human nature and acting accordingly, rewarding the behavior we like, ignoring what we don't, and so on. Keep in mind, again, as I've said, these things apply. We've talked a lot about this in our marriage relationship or, you know, with our spouse, but they apply in any relationship where we would like another person uh, that we interact with whose productivity affects ours. We would like them to be more productive than they are. So whether it's our kids, our roommates, coworkers, uh, people in organizations that we're involved in, all of these things can work. to help us influence others positively. Another suggestion that I would make when it comes to your household is, is talk to other women whose families seem to run the way you would like yours to. Uh, You might find out that things aren't all the way you, as you might imagine them to be, but you might also get some tips and ideas. And finally, I would say, recognize where this fits into your own priorities. What do you want most of all? Um, There is a balance that I think we need to strike between getting the help we need from other people or encouraging their, their personal growth and productivity on the one hand and fostering a good relationship on the other hand. And, And to me, this kind of goes back to that recognizing that, uh, we can't change other people. We can influence them positively, hopefully by the, the approaches that we take, but some, we can't change them. And how much, uh, is it worth to you in terms of the cost to the relationship to try to get them to change? Sometimes we accept them for who they are and, uh, develop our, our own workarounds, for the good of the relationship, if, if it's important enough to us. Uh, 
So those are some of my thoughts uh, in response to the questions that came up in the in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, the conversations about uh, the uh, how to influence other people if we think they're not as productive as we wish they would be. I would love to know your thoughts on this. Is your spouse or your kids or your roommate, your coworkers less productive than you wish they would be? How do you deal with that? Do you agree with the things that I've said? Or do you disagree? Would you take a different approach? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. You can share those ideas or any questions in the comments section of the show notes for this episode, which you will find at theproductivewoman.com slash 265. Or you can post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. Or if you're a member of the, the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, that's a great place to continue this conversation. I'd love to hear from you there. As always, if you would prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions at, to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I would love to hear from you there. Uh, before we go, remember, if you're pursuing goals this year or the coming year that involve professional development or personal growth, remember that special offer from the University of California, Irvine's Division of Continuing Education. They um, are opening registration in the next couple of days for this coming semester. And you can learn more by visiting ce.uci.edu slash productive woman and use the pro promotional code or the promo code TPW to get 15% off one course. Once again, that's ce.uci.edu slash productive woman and the promo code TPW will get you 15% off one course. Uh, and remember that this offer is only valid till 11.59 p.m. on December 31st of 2019. Thank you so much to the University of California, Irvine's Division of Continuing Education for supporting the Productive Woman podcast and for providing assistance and support for productive women everywhere. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I don't take it lightly. I appreciate it uh, more than I probably know how to say. I hope you found something in this episode that's helpful to you. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other, including your spouse and to yourself, and go make your life matter.